And let's be clear, we exist only as a Great Commission people. We exist in order that sinners will hear the gospel of the Lord Jesus Christ and believe and be saved from all the nations. The marching orders of the Church of Jesus Christ were to go into all the world and preach the gospel because the gospel has the power unto salvation. This is what it means to follow Christ. A call to live, a call to die, a call to spend your life for Jesus here and around the world until he returns. Welcome to Amazon to the Himalayas podcast. I'm your host, Paul Aiken. This season of the podcast, we're focusing on missions in challenging and unique places around the globe. We're talking with people who are working in jungles, mountains, on remote islands, in different rural contexts around the world and here in North America. Today, we're going to be talking about missions in the mountainous jungles of South America. Our guest today is Scott Branson. Scott and Laura Branson and their two kids have been serving with the IMB in South America for over 15 years. The first eight years of their time on the field were spent in the Andes Mountains in a very hard-to-reach village nine hours away from the nearest city. During their time in the mountains, the Bransons helped their people group develop oral Bible stories into their language by backpacking for days to reach some of the most remote communities to train leaders in learning and teaching God's word orally in their native language. After that project ended, the Lord moved the family down the Andes Mountains to the Amazon Basin, where they're joined by a team of IMB workers focused on working alongside national partners to take the gospel to unengaged tribes in the Amazon jungle. The Baransons focus on discipling believers, establishing churches in a way that is sustainable and that will clearly communicate the gospel to those isolated in the Amazon. I'm really excited to have this conversation. Scott, welcome to the podcast. Yeah, great to be here today to share a little bit about the work in South America. Yeah, why don't we just start with the question, you know, where are you? Give us an overview of your context, of the people, the environment, all of those kinds of details. Yeah, so if you could imagine the western coast of South America, the Pacific Ocean, as soon as you come off the coast, the Andes Mountains begin right there at the coast. You start seeing foothills, and then you go up to snow-capped peaks with peaks up over 23,000 feet, snow-capped peaks, and then indigenous groups who live in the mountains there. And then all the way off the backside of that mountain range, you'll encounter cloud forest, rainforest, and then it slopes off into the low jungle, what we call the Amazon basin. So the watershed that flows into the Amazon river. We once lived and worked up in the mountains of Peru, but have in the past several years, we've been working down in the Amazon basin living in a larger city, which serves as our base to go out to some tribal communities where we do most of our work. Okay, maybe just quickly tell me kind of how you would compare and contrast the mountains from the Amazon Basin. Well, everything from the climate is different. Cold, dry climate in the mountains, high altitude, adjusting to the altitude, not being able to breathe well. When we had volunteer teams come work with us, it was always an adjustment dealing with the altitude dangerous roads in the mountains, big cliffs dropping off, some of the most dangerous roads in the world. And the people in the mountains were very, very kind, but less trusting. And it took more time to build relationships where they would invite you into their homes and that kind of thing. When you go down into the jungle, it's a much warmer climate, humid, 
if you leave anything still for too long, it begins to mildew. There's not a mountain in sight where we live. It's just flat jungle, lots of trees, tropical plants, birds everywhere, all kinds of animals, everything you can imagine. Anything you might have seen on TV that exists in the Amazon jungle, it's there. But we live in a city, and when you're in the city, you can't really tell so much that you're in the middle of the jungle, but it only takes 15 or 20 minutes driving outside of town before you start encountering the full onset of the jungle. So the people there are very kind. The culture is rich out in the communities where we go, and they're much more trusting than the people in the mountains. You can get behind closed doors with families, be able to talk about the gospel pretty quickly. But it also comes with some challenges, too. With that quick trust comes an awareness that we need to be very clear about what we share and very much to the point, but but clear and continue to emphasize what the gospel is and what it's not. That's good. Thinking through both your context in the mountains, but also there in the Amazon basin, what are maybe two or three things that people might not know about your context, your location? In the context where we live right now, There are, I think there may not be an awareness of how many people there are that have no access to the gospel in the Amazon jungle. So in the country where we live, there are actually somewhere around 20 groups, people groups who have separate languages who don't have any access to the gospel. They live in very isolated places. Most of them have never really seen the outside world. They don't know what cell phones are. They've never seen a car They don't have doctors. They don't know those things. And because they don't have access to the outside world, the gospel has not reached them yet. So I think that's one thing that I would say is something that people aren't necessarily aware of from our area. Most of the things you would see in media, on TV, on the Internet, you're going to be seeing information about the rainforest and saving the rainforest for our own good. You're going to see things about animals and extreme adventures out into the jungle, but there's not as much about the people and their lostness. So, Scott, can you tell us some of the story about how you got to the jungles of South America? Yeah, sure. So see if I can kind of wrap this up in a short story. When my wife and I first got married, we got married in college and the Lord started putting on our hearts to think about missions. And we didn't really know what that meant. We were both education majors and we were thinking, you know, during the summers when we're out of school, we'd have a couple of months we could do missions. And we got involved in our church. I was doing an internship at the church as a youth minister. And we went on a mission trip to Mexico, actually. And while we were in Mexico, the Lord really started putting on my heart that this is where you need to be. And we've been on some other volunteer trips before, but it was on that trip where we knew that we needed to start understanding what life on the mission field was like and be prepared. And about a year later, we went to Southern Africa, worked with some missionaries with our organization there for about three months as volunteers. And I think it was there that the Lord started really putting on our heart what this would look like, that this was going to be a career for us or a calling for us that we would leave everything that we know and go somewhere else. And it was while we were in Africa that we learned about South America. And we began investigating where we would go in South America. And the Lord opened up some doors for us to serve in the mountains where we were. And we 
went through the processes with our organization and met some missionaries who were there working in the mountains. They shared with us the need. And it was just an extreme place where people weren't willing to go. And our questions were, it's at the end of what road? And there's no self-service and we're going to have to homeschool our kids and all these questions we had. Tell us about the dangerous roads again. And we served there for about eight years in the mountains. It's an incredible ministry. We're able to work with a lot of local churches and help mobilize the local church to reach some pockets of lostness in that people group. Then the Lord started putting on our hearts again. We got another move for you. And we realized that the Lord was at work. And the more we prayed about it, we knew that the Lord was leading us to go to the jungle. The Lord really changed our hearts and showed us that that's where we needed to be. And it's been a good situation. He's definitely blessed the work. He's done some incredible things that we're excited to be a part of. That's great. When you think about the current context where you live in the Amazon basin, what is it about this place that makes it so special to you? I really think it's the people. I talk about the mountains a lot. I love the mountains because it was beautiful. I mean, it's just incredible display of God's creation. And it's not that the jungle is not a display of God's creation. You have everything there, but I think I'm kind of a mountain guy, you know? So when I think about the jungle, there are a lot of things that are hard about it, but what keeps us there is not only our calling to be there, but the people. And I think that's what really makes it special. You know, they're different than us. Their culture is different. Our worldview is different. But I see their hearts and I see their need for the gospel. I see their physical needs. And that's what makes it special. They're just a beautiful people to be around. And the thing that's really brought that home for me is when I have been walking through really hard times in my life where they have come and ministered to me and they've picked me up off the ground, trusting the Lord and saying, look, God's got your back. He's with you. And we're going to walk with you in this, too. That really kind of nailed it in for me. I love these people that we work with because they not only are they God's creation, but they care about us too, you know, and uh, I think that's a huge part of the ministry. What makes this context a challenging place to do ministry? Are there any examples you can share with us? The mountains had the extremity of, it was just hard to travel. You had to backpack into certain regions where roads didn't go. You were six days up in the mountains, just making a loop and getting to places where you needed to visit. And it was incredible, but it was challenging. Not everybody could do that. And we had to train for it and get ready to make those trips in the high altitude. There, it was very isolated. And the challenge was loneliness. In the first several years that we were there, we were the new guys in town. We didn't fit in. No one trusted us. And just walking through that. And then when you face health issues, our kids had some health issues that would have made it easy for us to move to a context that would have been a little more simple for our family. But we knew that the Lord had us there for a reason. We needed to face those challenges. And you know, it had to do with diet and the availability of things where we live. But the Lord gave us some grace in that area and showed us how to walk through it. In the jungle where we live now, it's a hard context. I think I mentioned the non-residential work. And Traveling out to remote villages and being out there, being apart from my family has brought on a new challenge for the transition every time I make a trip. And my wife has a lot on her shoulders when she's at home. She teaches at a missionary kids school and has a lot of responsibility on her plate where our kids have gone to school. I think that's probably the biggest challenge. You know, if I were going to rank it second for like a personal challenge, it would just 
there's a lot more health issues that we face and our national partners face out in the jungle. There's a lot of tropical disease and different things that just things like diabetes and tuberculosis, our organization takes care of us. And I look at the people we work with and just watching them walk through things and trying to help them walk through situations like that. It brings on a level of difficulty that hard to deal with. Reaching a specific people group with the gospel demands specialized training and a global vision. Southern Seminary supports these ministry goals through theological education that is trusted for truth. A degree in missiology from Southern Seminary provides students with the biblical foundation and theological training necessary to take the gospel into all the world. The program prepares graduates to serve as missionaries, church planters, and ministry leaders anywhere in the world. To learn more about Master of Divinity, Master of Arts, and doctoral degrees available through the Billy Graham School at Southern Seminary, go to sbts.edu bgs or go to the episode notes for this podcast and click the link to the Billy Graham School at Southern Seminary. There, you'll learn how listeners to this podcast can save $40 when applying for classes. The web address again is sbts.edu slash bgs. You mentioned your family several times, and we talked earlier at the beginning that you've been there for over 15 years. What has life looked like for your family? Living in isolation in the mountains was a real challenge for us at first because we came from the first world and had our routines, the things that we did. I was... You know, when you go on the field living in a very remote place where life is challenging, you don't really have that schedule every day anymore. We lived in an adobe house made out of dirt, you know, and the plumbing and the electrical was a mess. And we spent a lot of time working on the house and facing challenges with things that we just needed to make life feel a little bit normal for us where we lived. And living in the remote place, we had to come up with things that we would do every week. You know, we had, homemade pizza night at home, you know, for the kids. So they'd have something to look forward to. We had a Coke day, you know, the kids would go and buy like a Pepsi or a Coke up at the store at the top of the hill from our house. And they'd look forward to that every day. Like, we're going to have Coke today. This is awesome. We're going to get Sprite or a Pepsi. And then every Friday night we had movie night, just a family movie night. And we would download some movies on a hard drive on our computer. We didn't have internet. So when we did have access to it, we try to stockpile some movies that we could watch as a family. We'd pop popcorn and do a smorgasbord of popcorn and whatever else you could put on top of popcorn toppings or whatever. Just have fun as a family. When we moved to the city in the jungle, our routine changed a lot. There's a pretty big missionary community that works out into the Amazon basin in the city where we live with different organizations. And becoming a part of that community was huge for our family because our kids were at that time were becoming teenagers when we first moved there and they needed some peers around them and people they could relate to and there were other missionary kids there that they were able to relate to i appreciate you sharing about your family i think it's encouraging for people to hear kind of how you guys have navigated and walked through that with moving there with younger kids and then now your kids are, are a little bit older and i think one maybe out of the house one getting close to getting out of the house so i yeah, appreciate you sharing. Yeah some of that context. Now that you've talked about the context, the challenges, you've talked about your family. I would love to hear what the Lord is doing. Can you share some of the ways that he is currently at work in your context there? Yeah, for sure. So we're super excited about some things that our national partners are doing. We work with a particular people group, the Yaku people, who have some established churches among their people. They're not highly reached. As far as percentages go, we'll say that they're a reached people group, but they've got the New Testament 
translated into the language. It needs revision. That New Testament does. It's not as usable as it should be. And there's not very many people who can actually read in that context. So we're looking at the church and seeing where do we need to move with those local churches to see them in a place where we can say this is a healthy network of churches who are meeting all of the check marks that you need for a healthy church and who are also sending out people from their church to the lostness in the Great Commission task. So this church is sending out people to an area to work with a group that's isolated, has no access to the gospel, that doesn't really know the outside world, and they're living in a village very near that area and have sent out a missionary team to be there and to be able to have conversations with them. And sometimes they yell across the river and have conversations with these people because they're dangerous people to be around. They have bows and arrows and they're protective of their land. So, you know, to see those people have a heart for taking the gospel to their cousins who speak a very similar language and don't have the gospel is an incredible thing to be a part of. So what we do in our context is we're helping them with oral strategies and learning how to develop Bible stories from Spanish to their language in Yaku. So then they'll have the tools to be able to share the gospel to the groups that are out there have no access to it. So that's a complicated system that we're involved in because it involves a lot of travel out to communities, working with local churches, local believers, teaching them how to develop stories that are faithful to scripture and teaching them how to effectively use the stories. And then also running contingency and working with our national partners who are out there in dangerous places, ready to share the gospel and helping them be able to stay there. The funding that pushes that kind of thing is something that we want to be as local and as sustainable as possible. So we're working with the local church on ideas for how to raise the funds to keep their missionaries out in places where they need to be. And some of that involves things like tent making, where the missionaries who are out there are actually doing things to raise their own money. For example, I was talking with one of our partners yesterday, and they were trying to figure out how we can help them get enough capital to make a fishing trip upriver to buy the fish, to freeze the fish in a deep freeze that they have that's powered by a solar panel and bring the fish downriver and sell the fish, double the money on the fish so that they can buy fuel and be able to buy some of the supplies that they need to keep their families in that place where they're at. And so we're looking at things like that, artists and projects, different avenues that we can take to help them be sustainable in the work that they're doing. And that's our context. You know, Scott, I appreciate you mentioning that. You know, oftentimes when we think about doing mission work in dangerous places, we think about terrorist kind of locations or Taliban, or we might think about repressive governments in East Asia. We don't tend to think about people with bow and arrows in the jungle, but very much it can be in danger those who are trying to access those more remote kind of groups. And so I appreciate you just kind of mentioning some of the challenges that you guys face, but how the Lord is at work in the midst of that, I think is really encouraging for our listeners as well. Yeah, God's definitely at work and he's doing a great work in the hearts of our national partners. And we're seeing them grow and abide in Christ and walk more closely with him. And to see them face those fears. I mean, it is a dangerous place. We had a national partner who was shot with an arrow several years ago and nearly died. So there's a lot of weight. There's a lot at stake in the ministry. 
but they're willing to be there and they want to be there because their passion for the great commission and the gospel mm-hmm. is greater than their fear. It's not that they're not afraid. It's just greater than their fear of staying there and working there. So when we go out there and work with them in that place, we have the same fears. You know, it's something that's real that you hesitate before you go to sleep at night, you know, but it's what we do. And we don't put ourselves in front of danger, but we're willing to be there to share the gospel. And we try to be as shrewd and effective and wise as we possibly can in what we're doing and be good stewards of what those who back everything that we do are giving and the funding that we receive. Yeah. I tell my students about the story of Jim Elliott and those guys in the jungles, you know, in the 1950s. And I think when we hear about 1950s, we tend to think, okay, yeah, there were people back then who were, you know, living in remote parts of the jungle who had bows and arrows, but that was the 1950s. Well, here we are 2023. And it's fascinating for us to be reminded that these things are still happening. There are groups of people just like this that are still out there today that are in need of gospel witness, gospel presence. So, yeah, it's very true. I want to transition to some lightning round questions, maybe some quicker questions, quicker responses. What do you think, you know, you've been doing work now in some difficult spots for 15 years. What do you think it takes to be a missionary in an extreme place? Well, first of all, you have to be walking with the Lord. And I found my places in some low places in ministries where I've meandered off the path of just being in God's word daily. And those are the times that I've really struggled and I've questioned my call and I've had a hard time staying on the field. So abiding in Christ and just walking with him and staying in his word is so direly important. And patience, just being patient for God's timing. And I find myself in those moments a lot going, God, what are you doing here? I really need you to work right now. And this needs to be taken care of when he's got a plan and he's got timing and things that we don't understand. And then just a firm grasp of the calling. I don't think we always have to go back to when God first called us to something, but remembering that and then being in that calling in the moment has been one of the things that has allowed us to stay in a difficult place. The craziest and most shocking thing you've ever seen or experienced during your work? Probably, I had this moment when I was out in the jungle. We were, when we're out there in the remote villages, a lot of times we have to hunt and fish for our food. You don't have a lot of weight on the planes that we fly out on to take things with us. And you get hungry, you go look for it. You go find it. You go find a turtle or you find a monkey or you find a small alligator, whatever it is. You know, you go hunting with the indigenous guys and you get it. So as we were walking out through the jungle one time, we came upon some evidence of one of these isolated groups that was there and a broken piece of an arrow and a marking on a tree. And it just hit me the reality that these guys are here and they don't have the gospel. These are real people. It's not just someone I've seen a cell phone video of. These are real people and they need the gospel. I think that was just kind of like, a I don't know, I was in shock for a little bit. It just, it took me a while to kind of work through that and realize that there are people out there that live without any access to the gospel who don't know the outside world, the modern world like we do. What is maybe one thing you wish you knew before you arrived? How long it would take to establish relationships and communicate the gospel 
how long it would take to have a grasp on the language to where I could communicate well. Those were the big things, how long it would take, because in our minds, we were going there to conquer the world. You know, we were just immediately, we were going to start a church and people were going to be coming to Christ. And here we were six years later thinking no one's come to Christ yet. We've been sharing our hearts out. And we realized the first two years we're on the field, people really didn't understand us that well. You know, (laughs) those kind of things were hard to digest. So, yeah, how long it would take. I think that's one of the things that I wish I had known that from the beginning. I think it would have made the first few years a little bit easier on the field for us. If some of our listeners wanted to know more or learn more about your context, is there a resource that you might point them to that might help them learn a little bit more? Is there a book? Is there a video, a movie, a web link? Uh, yeah, what would you Yeah, would you there are two books that I would recommend for two different contexts. There's one that's called The Spirit of the Rainforest by Mark Ritchie, I believe it is. And it follows the story of a tribal shaman or a witch doctor and his backstory and coming to know the Lord. And it's very eye-opening. It gives you an idea of the worldview of some of the people that we're working with and where they're coming from, how they view spirits, good and bad spirits, what their view of God is. And it's really eye-opening. That's one of those books that It's not a bedtime story you want to sit down and tell your kids at night. It's got some pretty graphic descriptions of what their life was like out in the jungle, but very eye-opening as to the worldview. The other book that I would recommend, it's one I read several years ago. It's called The Great Omission by Steve Sankt. And it's one of those books. He's got a lot of good wisdom in that book. But one of the things I like about it is he addresses the issue of sustainability And kind of this idea of when helping hurts, but in the context of tribal Amazon, you kind of get that context in that book. It's really good. All right, Scott, last question. How would you encourage people who are working in hard environments? What would you say to them? I would say dig into God's word, invest in your family. If you're there with a family, if you're a single working in a hard environment and find community around you that you can share about the hardships, the good things, everything with, that you get involved in a local church, that you're able to be transparent with others when you face hardships, when things get difficult for you, whether it's physically difficult or mentally difficult, that you're willing to talk to others about what's going on with you and that you realize that the enemy doesn't want you to be there, just like in any context where the gospel is not, that you realize he doesn't want you there and problems are going to come. So just walk with the Lord. And when you face times when you don't feel like you're making much ground, just get out there and do what you know that the Lord wants you to do. Go share the gospel with somebody. Just get out the door and do it rather than talking about it. Scott, thank you so much for your time and for the conversation today. Yeah, no problem. I really enjoyed it. Thank you for this opportunity to share a little bit about the context, where we work and where we live. To hear more conversations like this, please subscribe to this podcast. Be sure to follow us on social media. Thanks again for listening to this episode. Thank you for joining us on Amazon to the Himalayas. This podcast is brought to you by the Billy Graham School at Southern Seminary. Please visit our website www.sbts.edu slash BGS, where you can subscribe to the show and learn more. 
Also, if you have found these conversations helpful, please leave us a comment or a review and encourage your friends to subscribe to the podcast. Be sure to follow us on Facebook, Instagram, and Twitter for more. This is Amazon to the Himalayas podcast.